Good morning. Good to see you here this morning for worship at Church in the Valley. I hope that you are, well, I don't know. I don't know how much it matters, but I was thinking about the Christmas season and you get into the the flow of things. And yesterday, um, I put up our lights on our house and was listening to Christmas music and was in the Christmas spirit, as they say. So I was about to say, I hope you're in the Christmas spirit, but I, I don't know. You know, you, you could be happy without being in in that season, but I really enjoy this time of year. I had a few years where I was sort of Scrooge-like, but uh, I pulled out of that, and I'm I'm really I really enjoy what we're talking about in this message series, uh, which we've titled "Into Our World." We're looking at how Jesus entered the world. Uh, to become a man, and what it means for his followers in the way that we approach life and in the way that we relate to the people around us. And so that part of Christmas, I've never been a Scrooge about. It's all the other stuff that surrounds it, the pressure that's packed around making sure everything goes a certain way. That kind of gets to me sometimes. And so I had a few years. I thought, I now I'm explaining myself. I didn't plan to do this. But I feel I need to explain that comment um, because Christmas time brings a wide variety of thoughts and emotions. It 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 can uh, bring up a tremendous amount of joy and anticipation mixed with anxiety and dread. And so, uh, as we walk through this series, our hope is to focus on uh, what it's really all about. When I was a kid, I have to admit, and I, it's, this is, there are cringe moments in my life that I have, uh, that I look back on and I think, oh my goodness. Um, or no, my, oh my badness would be better. Um, but one, one of those is I was shameless when it came to Christmas presents. Just shameless. I would hint and I would plead and I would, I would try to manipulate and make sure I got what I wanted. And then, you know, my mom and dad, they loved me. And they wanted to get what I wanted, and they'd get what I wanted. I was pumped, you know. I'm just celebrating on Christmas morning and pretty excited about that. Uh, and and looking back, Christmas for me was about mostly expectations. Uh, I, had, I had a lot of expectations for Christmas. I grew up in church. I knew what it was all about. I knew the story very well. Uh, but my mind tended to be dominated by the activities, kind of what, what parties were going on, what were we going to do. We're going to go to the snow. I love, you know, you, you're like, great thing about Southern California, you can go to the snow and leave it there. I, I've lived in places where it stayed, and, and it's, it's a great thing. You know, for five years I was in Fort Worth. Every once in a while it would snow and stick, and I really appreciate the fact that you can go and leave it and come back. But, you know, are we going to do that? Uh, what, what are we going to do with all that? Um, food is a big part of my Christmas celebration. As I was getting ready for this message, I was thinking about this fruitcake. I cannot stand fruitcake. Uh, but my my mom used to make a, a graham cracker fruitcake. It was awesome. And I would go through loads of that <laughs> as Christmas came Came about, you know, and then there's the gifts, you know, what should I give? What am I going to get? When, when you grow into 
adulthood, the joy of the season can easily turn into a time of pressure and expectation. And it's something that we, we just have to deal with. My December calendar's packed. I don't know about yours. It probably is. Likely. There's a lot going on. Can, can you relate to that? You know, what do you have on your plate this Christmas? Um, are you facing the pressure that comes with it? Maybe you've done some Christmas shopping. You're partway through. You've still got a lot of people on your list that you haven't covered, and you're not quite sure how you're going to pay for it all. That adds the extra oomph to the pressure. Maybe you're hosting some events, and you really want them to go well. I mean, you, you really want this to be nice. You're going to have a dinner. You're stressed out about everything coming together and being in place. Um, maybe at work or school, you have a lot of deadlines. The end of the year, Christmas lines up with the end of the year. There are a lot of deadlines uh, that we have at the end of the year or finals week. If you're in school, uh, you, you feel that pressure. And then there's the pressure of the wow factor with the gifts you get. Maybe you have a relative who always gets just these great gifts and you feel like yours are a dud. You know, people over them, yeah, okay, here we go. Randy got that one again, you know. Um, anyway, there are expectations to live up to when it comes to Christmas time. Uh, these scenarios are all packed uh, with expectations. And today what I want to do in this message is to focus us differently uh, than, than the norm. Instead of looking through the lens of everything that needs to be done to pull Christmas off, what if we looked through the lens of what Jesus has already done for us in the first Christmas and stepping into our world? Let's, let's change our lens, change our focus. Instead of getting worked up over how we need to deliver this Christmas, let's slow down and recognize what Jesus has already done on our behalf. Look at the first uh, Christmas, and you see that Jesus' humble birth draws attention to what's important to God. And, and all that's going on, that first Christmas draws attention to the thing that's very, to whatever is very important to God. When we look carefully at the birth of Jesus, it reveals how different God's ways are than our ways. Um, <clears throat> Jesus arrives in the most humble manner. Look at Luke 2. And while they, Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, were there, which was Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, what is happening in this scene in the first century in um, Bethlehem is the creator of the universe is stepping into the world that he made and landing in a feeding trough for barn animals. I mean, that's, that's what's going on. Out, outside uh, of some nameless, insignificant inn. You know, it wasn't a Hyatt, it wasn't a Hilton, it wasn't a Marriott. It was a nameless inn that there was no room for him in that inn. And he lands in a manger, which we have really cute mangers and nativity scenes today, but a manger is basically a horse trough, feeding trough for animals. 
He was born in an insignificant village, grew up in a, a city that had a bad reputation and was raised by a peasant mother and a tradesman father. So as we celebrate this amazing event this year, I want to try to help us grasp what Jesus gave up to step into the world and to connect with us in the way that he has. Last week we read John uh, where he makes it clear that Jesus is God, the very one who made us. That's where John starts his gospel. He wants to make no mistake, Jesus is God. And so that's where he starts. And as human beings, we have limits on our ability to grasp God and who he is. Um, we, we can't really get the fullness of his nature. Uh, we can know enough about him to reconnect with him. But we can't really grasp everything. But my, my friend and mentor puts it like this. To know God in our world, he has to reveal himself to us. He, he has to show himself to us. And a friend of mine puts it this way. He says, imagine that I'm, I'm in a closet. So imagine that I'm in a closet. And you're outside the closet door trying to figure out what's in the closet. You know, it could be a coat, could be a vacuum cleaner, could be a dancing carrot. You don't know, or, or you know, whatever. Um, you're not quite sure what's in there, but you're outside the closet door, and you're trying to figure out what's in there. And after a while, you're sitting there, and you're puzzling. A few minutes go by, and all of a sudden, I speak. And then you realize, oh, okay, well, it's not a coat. It's not a vacuum. I guess if a carrot could dance, it could probably speak. Uh, they do on Veggie Tales, so maybe maybe it's a dancing carrot. And so you're trying, you're still trying to figure this out. And then uh, after an, another period of time, I slip a picture of myself underneath the door of the closet. And then you realize, oh, it's this is a human being in there. This this is what's going on. And he tells this story, he tells this to, to emphasize the fact that um, this is what God did in the person of Jesus Christ. The, the scripture says he is the exact reputation, uh, representation of God himself. So he, he is God, and he showed up to reveal who God is and what he's like. A friend of mine, when I told this story recently, said it was a selfie. <laughs> that that's, that's, seems trite, but in, in our vernacular, that's what happened. God showed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could know exactly who he is and what he's like. This is what God's done. It's an amazing thing that he's done in the first Christmas. Now, we don't really know what someone's like until we meet them or spend time with them. I mean, they're celebrities. We have our opinion. We see them in movies and on TV, and we have our opinion. But we wouldn't really know what they're like until we meet them personally and spend time with them. And this is how it is with God. And so Jesus came to earth to show us 
what we can expect from God, to straighten out misconceptions about him, to clarify who he is. And he came so that we could be made right with God through his death on the cross and so that we could have a relationship with him. Now, the Bible teaches, it's hard to talk about Jesus' birth and, and him stepping into the world and what we call the incarnation, which is God putting on human flesh, coming in human form, without mentioning the Trinity, which is a concept that is very difficult to grasp. But the Bible teaches that there's one God who is the creator and ruler of the universe, but he's eternally existed in three persons, um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal, distinct personalities and are one and the same. Now, we, we struggle to grasp this. We do. But Jesus is the Son. He's always been the Son. Uh, he's always existed. His incarnation was not his begin. His incarnation was not his beginning. He was there in creation. We read that in John last week. Now, there are no other persons like God, so this is hard to get our minds around. But this is how he's revealed himself to us. This is the picture of himself he's given in Scripture. This is something we can know, but we can't completely get our minds around. Now, here, here's a, an illustration that's used to try to show the Trinity. There are other things that are said, but uh, about the Trinity, like illustration is trying to help it make sense to you. But it's, it's something, I want to encourage you, it's something you just know that you find in Scripture that you need to know, and you cannot compare it with anything else because there's only one God. No one's like him. But there is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And uh, the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. And likewise, so you go around the outside of that, that picture there, and you realize they're distinct persons. But they're all God. They're one God. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. This is how God's revealed himself to us. We, we can see this and we can know it, but we have nothing to compare it with. And what it means uh, for our purpose today is that Jesus was fully God who became fully man so he could show God's love to us and save us from our sins. Now, think about what he gave up in order to step into our world, in order to become a man. Uh, just, just think about that. He comes into our world humbly. But in order to do that, he leaves heaven. What, here, here's an attempt to give a glimpse of what that is like. I want you to think about the most comfortable place for you on earth. The cozy, comfortable place. It could be like for me in our house, it's the corner of the couch with some coffee and something to read. That's, that's a great place. Or maybe for you, it's a vacation spot. I have my favorite vacation spot of all time. Uh, Cindy and I went there on our 30th anniversary. We had a great time. I love that place. Um, problem is I can't go there very often because it's expensive to go there. But this room was fantastic. We loved it. We had a great, so anyway, imagine the most comfortable, cozy 
desirable place on earth for you. You're there. You're enjoying yourself. You're relaxed completely. And as you're sitting there, you hear a child scream in the other room, and you have to get up and go help them because you're suspecting they're is some fight that has just broken out between brother and sister, brother and brother, or whoever it is. But you have to leave. That's a very poor attempt at giving a picture of what Jesus did. I mean, it was astronomical in comparison, but Jesus was in heaven. And he left heaven to come to earth so that we could know God. Uh, he, he leaves all his glory, his honor, his riches, being the focus of ongoing praise as God in heaven. And he steps down into our world. He did so out of love and obedience. He did this so that we could connect with God. And there are no words that will adequately describe what Jesus gave up to step down into our world. No, no illustration, nothing. He, he did it completely out of his love for us. And by stepping into our world, Jesus gave us an example to follow. And I, I want to walk through a passage that, that lays out the example he gave us. Here's what Paul writes to, to a church in the first century. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God... He had all the attributes of God. He was all-knowing and all-powerful and everything that God is, he had. And he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't squeeze it, but he let it go. He emptied himself. Now, he didn't empty himself of his deity, of, of his, the fact that he was God. He was fully God when he was here, fully man. That blows our mind. It's hard to get, like I said, you can't get your mind completely around that. You just understand it from what the Scripture says. But he emptied himself of his divine glory. So he becomes a baby. This is God who becomes a baby. And he, he's, his first bed is a trough for, for barn animals. And he steps into our world. He emptied himself of his glory. Now, on earth, Jesus was ordinary. He was scorned, beaten, rejected, humiliated, and eventually murdered, executed. He leaves the glory and treasures of heaven, and he gives up his honor and his riches. He submits himself to the Father. In, in that Godhead, in, in the being of God, there's relationships they have relationship with one another and he submits himself to the father he actually limited his knowledge and his power while he was here on earth now he he could have called angels to come rescue him at any moment in time but he chose not to he limited himself he gave up a favorable relationship with his father on the cross it's one of the most heartbreaking things you see in the scripture is here here he is this is God himself became man, and he gave up an enjoyable, completely connected, favorable relationship with the Father to take our sins on himself. That's what Jesus did. Because he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
So he, he gives all of that up to step down into our world so that we could know God. The passage goes on by taking the form of a servant. He took the form of a servant, which actually means slave. He peels off the robe of majesty and he puts on the robe of a slave. He becomes the slave in order to serve us and to meet our deepest need, which is to reconnect with God. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. The passage goes on. He, he looked like everyone else, no halos, but no perfect smile, no perfect part in his hair. He didn't talk with a special voice. That was pretty bad special voice. But anyway, he didn't have a special tone or voice where, oh, this is God, God speaking. You know, no, he was an ordinary human being. He was found in human form. He humbled himself. Humility means to make yourself lower. You, you take a step down from a higher place or an equal place. By becoming obedient, it says, to the, to the point of death, even death. On a cross. This is what Jesus has done to connect us to God. He goes from glory to earth to criminal status and bears the sins of everyone who choose to believe in him. Then look at verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's restored to full glory, honor, and privileges. But the path that Jesus began with was a humiliating journey downward. And in doing that, he showed his followers how to live. How we're, we're to do the same in our world. We learn from this passage that humility means I take a position of lower importance or lesser privilege. Imagine how Jesus must have felt to be limited. Imagine the self-control he needed to be God and to continue to be patient with human beings who can be irritating, annoying, who can make mistakes. And not just make mistakes, but be perverse and really uh, hurtful. They disappoint you. Imagine the self-control it took for him to continue to live and show love and kindness to the people around him. He, didn't. He, he just kept humbling himself rather than asserting himself and making it about him. It comes naturally to me to do the opposite of humility. I, I don't know about you, but when, I, when I'm going to a restaurant and I pull up at the same time as another car, I sort of count the number of people in the party and I try to beat them to the door. <laughs> I mean, you ever do that? You're like, okay, it's going to look stupid, but, oh, you know, I'm running. Or in any line, you're in a line at a theme park or any line, grocery store, you're, you're sort of on watch, making sure that nobody cuts in line. You just don't want to do that. This is my normal reflex. I would imagine it, it's yours as well, these reflexes, they just come with the human heart. This is the way it is. Um, I had an insight this week. I was reading scripture just to soak it in this week. 
And uh, I read the parable Jesus told about two sons. And there are two sons. The first son, he asked this son to go work in the vineyard. And the son says, no, not going to do it. But then he changes his mind and he does it. The second son, he, he says, yeah, I'll go work in the vineyard. Sure, no problem. But he never shows up for work. Jesus says, which one did the will of the father? The first one. Now, often in my own life, I beat myself up for not having better reflexes. But I think one of the things Jesus was saying there is, you're a human being. You have human reflexes. If you, if you catch yourself and you make the shift and you decide to do what God wants, amen, man, that's great. I'm going to throw a party. That's exciting. I get so irritated sometimes with people because of their reflexes. And what a, what a, I, how am I to judge them when my reflexes are just as bad? God wants us to be gracious. Sometimes we beat ourselves up. Sometimes we, in our minds at least, beat other people up because they have this knee-jerk reflex to sort of be irritating and annoying and not do what we want or not be cooperative. But God, Jesus tells that story because he wants us to know it's not always where you start. It's what you, where you finish. It's where you decide to shift your mind to do what God wants. And be gracious with yourself like God is. Be gracious with the people around you and show love to them. But it's important to understand humility isn't the absence of pride. It's not the absence of this desire to exalt myself and put myself ahead of everybody else. But it's a choice to work against pride. It's a choice to not cave into your pride. It's a choice to not allow it to be the one ruling you as you walk through life. God rewards humility. It's very important to him. Jesus was given the name above every name after he stepped down into our world and gave his life and was resurrected. God rewards it. He, he promises to exalt everyone who humbles themselves. If you exalt yourself, heads up, you're going down. That's what Scripture says. But if you humble yourself, God himself will promise to raise you at the, at the proper time. In his time, not when we want, but in his time, he'll raise us up. When we choose humility, we're blessed by God himself. The Bible lays out a hand, handful of benefits for humility, and they're great. They're, they're, they're amazing. Honor, guidance from God, grace, wisdom, promotion. If you choose pride, you're without grace. I don't want to be there, do you? you know, I don't want to be arrogant and go toe-to-toe with God. I want to choose humility before Him. God, here I am before you. I've blown it. I want your help. Will you give me? God gives help to those who humble themselves before Him. Not to the proud but to those who humble themselves. Humility is something we have to choose every day. It shows up in practical ways in the way that we relate to each other. It shows up in our words. And it shows up in our actions. Jesus 
points out that humility reminds me that it's not about me. I mean, here's God. If, if it should be about anyone, it should be about God. He's the one that made us. But he steps into the world and he makes it about the people that he made. He makes it about the people that he related to. And he shows his followers what's really important to him. You know, expectations show up in the way we want things to go. How we see things unfolding. You know, you're anticipating the Christmas season, I'm sure. And we do this with Christmas season. We do this with our life. We have, we sort of paint a picture of the way we'd like it to go, what we want to happen, how we want it to turn, turn out. And, and many times we're not even aware of our expectations until we get dis- disappointed with the way things turn out. So we, we have expectations. Sometimes they don't even come to the surface until we're disappointed. We tend to paint this picture in our mind, and we expect others to get in their place. You know, this is the picture, and we expect them to cooperate and get into the place we want them to be so that our picture becomes a reality. The Christmas song, Sleigh Ride, alludes to this. I'd, I'd sing it for you, but I'm going to have Harry Connick sing it for you instead. Here it is, Sleigh Ride. Listen, listen to this in the context of expectations, the picture that's painted. It's a happy feeling nothing in the world can buy when they pass around the coffee and the pumpkin pie. It'll nearly be like a picture printed by Courier and I. These wonderful things are the things we remember of through our lives. Just there it is. Sleigh ride. There's a happy feeling that nothing in the world can buy. And it'll be a picture print. This is, this is looking forward to Christmas, and there's going to be a picture print like the ones by Courier and Ives. You ever seen one of those? Here, here's one. Courier and Ives, picture print. Look at that. People are ice skating. There's sleigh rides going on. It's just winsome and beautiful. Central Park in winter. That's a picture print. So we, we, we have in our minds this picture of the way we want things to go. Our expectations create this picture, and sometimes they make it difficult to love others who are not seeing the same picture, or they're not cooperating with your picture. Maybe they have another picture. Maybe they've put in another print. But if they're not seeing things the way we do in our family, at work, with our friends, here in church life, boy, it gets difficult. It gets difficult to relate to them. Over and over, we have to let go of our expectations, the ones that don't really matter, in order to love the people around us. Jesus showed us this. This is what Jesus showed us. Now, if God were to show up here in this room, now, this is a church, so he would expect to be honored and worshipped, and that would be right. It was the same when Jesus was born into our world. He should expect to be honored and worshipped and treated in the way that deserve, uh, deserving of the one who made us 
But that's not the treatment he received. He let go of those expectations to serve, to love the people that he had made, who should be glorifying him, who should be honoring him. And over and over again, if we're going to follow Jesus, we do the same thing. That's what it means to follow him. Jesus showed us that loving the people he has made is more important to him than his own comfort. That, that's what he showed us. If you follow him, he wants you to do the same. This is, this is what it means at the core to be a follower of his. At one point, he said that whoever loses his life will save it. Now, at first glance, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You'll, you'll find it. This is one way that we find life in Christ. We give up our expectations. That picture print. We give them up, and we consider others more important to us than us. And we serve. God is pleased with that. And you become a refreshment to the people in your life. And you bless them. And as you humbly serve the people around you. Stepping down like Jesus means I accept what is without trying to force my plan and expectations on others. When frustration and disappointment come, humility helps us remember this. Let God paint the picture for my life that fulfills His purpose for me. And humble myself before Him and before the people around me and serve. So this Christmas, let someone else go first. Find out what others are hoping for and help them with their goals and expectations. Look at your expectations and ask God to help you let them go as you relate to the people around you. Overall, stepping down is a practical way to love and bless the people around you. As I wrap up the message today, I'd like to ask the band to come up if they would. And I'd like to ask you to take out your connection card uh, that's in your program. And if, if you would, continue completing, finish completing anything you haven't been able to complete on that card. Or I'm going to give some suggestions for next steps. And then the offering uh, will be received. The ushers will come around. You can drop the card in the offering. And uh, before we receive the offering, I'd just like to say thank you for your generous giving uh, that helps us do what we, what we do. It allows us to, to rent this facility and to purchase the equipment, to buy the coffee, and handle everything that we do. I'm, I'm very grateful for the, the, the way that you give so generously. But here are some next steps as I wrap up, some practical ways that you can apply something you learned for the first time or were reminded of as I spoke this morning. Uh, my next step today is to identify an unrealistic expectation to give up. Now, you may be painting a picture in your mind of how you want this Christmas to go. Or, as I was speaking, an unrealistic an expectation popped up. Uh, if you've identified one, or you, need to, you know you need to identify it and just give it up to God. God, help me with this. Help me let this go. It's, it's difficult, but help me do that. And then uh, a next step, another step would be to choose humility as I relate with family, friends, coworkers, 
or extended family or whoever. Just choose humility. I'm just, God, I'm going to, I know that we're all on an even plane before you, God. But I'm going to take a place of lower importance and privilege and I'm going to serve them. I'm going to choose humility in the way that I relate to my family and friends this Christmas. So those are some next steps. Maybe God laid something else on your heart uh, as I spoke. But let's ask him for the help to take those steps. Father, we thank you for the truth that we see in your word. And I just pray that you would give us the the strength, the the wherewithal, the help uh, from you to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take. as we look at this week ahead, as we look at the Christmas season, Father, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified by us, and that you'd help us to follow you more and more and please you. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.